Bless the Lord this morning. I hope you've had a good day already in the house of the Lord, have you? Let me ask you that again. Have you had a good day in the house of the Lord already today? All right. Now, now that I got you awake, you've got to stay awake the rest of the day, okay? Uh, again, we're glad that you're here, and it has been a good day so far in the Lord, and uh, going to be a, a good day the rest of this morning, and uh, lunch afterwards, a great time of fellowship as well. Uh, so uh, make plans to stay after, after worship service and uh, enjoy that fellowship. Well, we're in our deacons meeting this morning and, and uh, Wednesday night. Uh, the last couple of Wednesdays, uh, everybody's been talking about going back to school, all right? And kids are all back in school, teachers are back in school, college kids are back in school, preschool starts next week. And so we got a lot going on, but, but it's all underway now. And I guess, you know, when, when you think about school and, and the first couple of days, normally they're, they're pretty good, aren't they? Now, I used to think that, but when I got in seminary, the first day of class, they, they, they gave me an exam. To find out how much I knew on the subject I was going to be taking. And that's quite a humbling experience. You know, you go in there and you, you don't know many of the answers. You think, I'm, you know, I, I might know some of these, or, but that's why we're taking the class, right? So that you learn. And so the, the pretest, they call it, before, the, before the, class, the course starts, and then of course afterwards you have the the post-test or the final exam, but, but as school goes along, you know, those first couple of days, are, they're pretty good. You know, it's getting to know the teacher and the kids and your friends and where you're sitting and your schedule and all that. And, 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 and then finally, it, it, the time comes for that dreaded T word. Look at those teachers. They, they know what I'm talking about. The, the T word, the, the test. When test time comes. You, you, you know, it's all fun and games in school up until that point, right? You're like, <laughs> I don't know. That, you know, that's when all the, the late sleepless nights begin and the, the pressure and the stress and the, the anxiety sets in. <clears throat> For me, I got the same feeling on test day as when you're driving down the road and you look in the rearview mirror and a blue light comes on. You know what I'm talking about? I think we've all been there on both of those occasions. 
It doesn't matter if you've done anything wrong or not, does it? Man, that heart rate gets up. You get short of breath. And I didn't do anything. That's kind of the way it is on test day for me. It didn't matter how much I studied or, or, or did or didn't study. or I still didn't and don't like tests. <laughs> They're not fun, are they? But tests can be good. Tests are, are good things because they measure where you are. A driver's license, for instance, test, uh, a driver's license test allows you to, to, to know the, or let other people know you know how to drive, or at least you're supposed to know how to drive, right? An eye test lets you know, okay, what glasses I need, or if you need glasses, or if your eyes are good. What strength of glasses you need. Blood tests. You tell you go to the doctor and play, take blood tests, and it tells you how your health is. It gives you di- different markers about what might be going, inside, going on inside your body that you don't know, that you can't see. And then a stress test, what's that? It lets the doctor know, lets you know if there's something wrong with your heart or not. And so... Testing lets us know where we are and where we stand on things. That was the case in our passage today in Genesis chapter 22. If you want to go ahead and turn to that, that's the case for Abraham and the story of his son Isaac. You probably remember the story of of Abraham and Sarah. He was a hundred years old. He was a hundred years old and she was bare and she couldn't have any children. So they had, he was a hundred, she couldn't have children. And God comes to him and says, and a hundred, this hundred year old man would have more descendants than the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. <laughs> yeah, right. That's laughable, isn't it? But God. But God can do whatever he wants to, Amen. Praise God. He can do anything, anytime, however He wants. And that's what we're going to find out that He did just in fact do that. In Genesis chapter 16, we see though that, uh, that Abraham and Sarah had gotten a little impatient. They had, they had wanted kids. They wanted children you know, their, their whole married life. And so they thought, okay, the, we can do this by letting my maidservant be the mother of Abraham's child. And we can take the child and raise it. And That was an immoral child. That was one that was born out of wedlock. Ultimately, Abraham did have the son. His son was named Ishmael. As we read on through Genesis, we find in chapter 21 that, that Abraham eventually sent Hagar, the maidservant, and Ishmael away. Because you see, Ishmael represented the, the world. Represented the, the worldly things. The things of the world. The flesh. And ultimately, Ishmael came the, became the father of Islam. Isaac, on the other hand, was the true son of Abraham and Sarah through their covenant marriage. And so let's read uh, Genesis chapter 21. Backing up and read that. Um, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had 
as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. And Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah had bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. They gave him the name Isaac, which means laughter. Again, they had waited their entire life for children. And they had, they had resigned themselves to, 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 to being childless. But God blessed them. God blessed them with a son. And we see throughout, throughout Genesis where, where, where Abraham had been tested time and time again. And he continued to demonstrate his faithfulness to God. But what happens next? What happens in this passage is, is unthinkable. The test that God gives Abraham is unimaginable. And God tests Abraham's love for him by asking Abraham to sacrifice his only son that God had given him. They had waited a hundred or however long, 90, 80 years. And God had given them a son and now God is saying, sacrifice your son so that I'll know that you really love me. Wow. What kind of test is that? We find that story in Genesis chapter 22. It's a, it's a defining moment in Abraham's life. Whether he will follow after what God tells him to do, will he continue to be faithful and obedient, or will he go choose his own way and do his own thing? In Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 it says, Sometime later God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. It says that God tested Abraham. A few translations say that, that God tempted Abraham, but most translations say that He tested Abraham. And there's a big difference in the two. Test is usually done to prove something. And, and, and spiritual tests are, are intended to, to strengthen our faith not break it down. And so God will, will only test us. He will never tempt us. He will only test us. Because when you're tempted, on the other hand, that leads to something bad. <coughs> Temptations are used to, to wreck our faith, to destroy our faith, to break our faith down. And Satan tempts us with the glitz and the, and the glory and the glamour of the world to draw us away from God and try to get us to follow Him Instead of God. And so when the temptation comes, you can know that it's not from God, but it's from Satan. In James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, uh, he lays that out perfectly clear. In James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God tempted me. We should never say that, that God tempted me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor 
does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted, here it is, when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires. When you want to rebel and turn against and go against God and take the world's way instead of God's way, he's saying that is a temptation. It is those evil desires that will entrap you and snare you and take you away and lead you ultimately to eternal death. The test for Abraham on the surface seems to be something bad, something unimaginable, but, but it's not. Because in the end, he, he tests what, his test was to prove that, that Abraham really did love God. That he really would love God through every situation. And regardless of what came his way, he was going to love God regardless of what was happening. That he would love God above everything and everybody else. He was putting God number one in his life. He was prioritizing God number one above all else. How are we doing with that in our life? How does, how does our relationship with God stack up with the things of the world? I want you to listen to the rest of of chapter 22 <clears throat> and see if it doesn't have a, a very familiar sound to it. It's the foreshadowing. This is a foreshadowing. This story is a foreshadowing of, of the crucifixion of Christ. In, verse 20, in chapter 22, verse 2, it says, Then God, God said, Take your son. Take your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. If you have children, you know the love you have for your child, for your children. And it's amazing when, I remember when Carly was born thinking, oh my gosh, she's got my whole heart. And then Claire was born, it was like, oh my gosh, She's got my whole heart. And then Caroline was born, and oh my gosh, she's got my whole heart. <laughs> it's amazing how God expands your heart, isn't it, to receive the blessings that He, that he pours out upon you. You're thinking, I, I could never love anybody more than, more than that. And, and now God, <clears throat> He had blessed God had blessed Abraham with his child and a son. And, and now he's calling him in verse 2. Take your son, your only son. You see, Ishmael wasn't recognized as his only son or another son because he had sent him away. He was a, an illegitimate son, an illegitimate child. He said, this is the son that you love. 
Take him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. What? What? How can you ask me to do that, God? You know I've desired my whole life to have a son, to have a child. And now you're wanting me to give him up. We see the similarity between this story and the crucifixion. As we read through this, you'll see that that Abraham represents God in the story. The only son, Isaac, of course, represents uh, Jesus. And and he is obedient to his father. We'll, We'll pay attention as we read through this story. The son never rejects, rebels, tries to run or anything. He is obedient to what his father says. The wood that they collect, it says that Isaac carried it. Jesus carried the cross. Many scholars believe that Mount Moriah is also Mount Calvary. It's on this mountain here that that the father is called to sacrifice his son. Abraham drew his knife out of his sheath and reared back ready to sacrifice his son and, and God halted it. But God sent his son to the cross. Their three-day journey to Mount Moriah is symbolic of the three days Jesus spent in the tomb. In the end, there's a ram that is found in the thicket that provides for the sacrifice instead of Isaac. That ram becomes a sacrificial lamb, but, but it is a ram because there is but only one sacrificial lamb, and that is Jesus. Listen to this in verses 3 through 8. It says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took, him, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When they had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkeys while I and the son go over there. Listen to this. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them were about, went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, or said that his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then it says the two of them went on together. Notice that he says in, in verse 8, Verse 8, Abraham is speaking faith into Isaac's heart. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. He says they went on together. And again, I want to point out verse verse 5 again. It says, he and his servants, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back. We will return. 
You see, this demonstrates Abraham's ultimate faith in God. Somehow he knew in his spirit that they would return, that they both would return. Did he believe that God would, would interrupt him? Did he believe that God would provide another sacrifice? Did he believe that, that God would revive Ab uh, Isaac? We don't know, of course. We don't know his thoughts. But we do know that his faith in God was real. And because his faith was so strong, it allowed him to trust God completely in what God wanted to do. We don't always know why God does the things He does or how He does the things He does. Now, on the surface, this, certainly, this story certainly doesn't make sense, does it? We just know that we're like Abraham. We're just supposed to trust God and then let Him work out the details. We talked last week about having faith that moves mountains. And, you know, sometimes the problems in our life seems like, you know, we're faced with an impassable mountain. There's no way to go over it, around it, or through it. We might not be able to see how or when, but God has better eyesight than we do. When we're sitting at the base of the mountain looking at how big and how wide and how tall and how great it is, we're thinking there's no way to get around it. You see, when God is looking down on us, that mountain's awful small. That mountain is not beyond His reach. That mountain will be moved. It will be made to be, go, to be gone through or around whatever God sees fit for you in your circumstances. But we just have to remember that the Lord is going to provide, that He will provide. We might not be able to see how or when, but again, we have to trust Him because He sees and knows more than we do. And again, it's like we live in a mountain range, doesn't it? You go up to the mountains and you, you, know, you go up one mountain and you go down it, what comes next? Another mountain. Isn't it? That's kind of like life, isn't it? When we go up one mountain and come back down, there's another storm in life waiting for us. We take one at a time and knock them out and trust God and allow Him to walk with us over and through or around those mountain ranges, whatever it might be. Trust in God as Abraham did. In verses 9 through 14, it says, When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Isaac, there's no information there about what Isaac's thoughts are, what Isaac is doing, what he's thinking, how he responds. But he's trusting his daddy who is trusting God. Since he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar 
on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Verse 12 there tells us that Abraham passed the test that's mentioned in verse 1. In that moment, in that action, in that obedience, Abraham was completely obedient and it proved his love for God. But maybe more than that, it proved to himself how much he loved God. how faithful and how obedient he was going to be to God. As he raised his, his knife and he heard the word of the Lord come to him, it says in verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket was a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will, the Lord will provide. Going back to where we started in, in chapter 21. Remember we talked about Ishmael who, who represented the things of the world? How he was sent away so that Isaac could receive the full blessing of God so that the generations of Abraham's descendants could indeed go on from generation to generation. Folks, God will never send our Isaac unless we get rid of our Ishmael. God will never send the, 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 the depth of our blessings until we get rid of the things of the world that's in our life, that's, that's captivating our heart, that has our attention, that has our, has our worship. Only until we get rid of that will God then completely pour out His blessings upon us. We might be thinking, but I don't want the test. <laughs> Again, I don't... <laughs> You heard me in the start, I don't like tests, right? None of us do. And I don't think anybody likes a spiritual test. We can't begin to imagine what Abraham was going through in the midst of this story. But James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, instead of not liking tests and hating tests and not wanting tests, James says, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see those tests that, that, that come our way, the, those tests that God places in our life, it develops in us character and perseverance and it, it develops in us the ability and enables us to, to finish the race that God has laid out before us. To continue on when the times of life gets hard and, and difficult. And when God gives us tests, it strengthens our faith in Him. So, so let me ask you this morning, do you feel a test going on in your life? Do you think God has said to you, take out a sheet of paper and get your pencil out? God's Word says persevere through it. That these tests would enable you to persevere in your faith and to be spiritually ready to encounter anything that, that comes our way. And, and as wild and as crazy as this test seems as you read it, think about this. God doesn't ask Abraham to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself, that he actually did himself. And because of Abraham's love, because of his faithfulness, God poured out his blessings upon Abraham for generation, for generation, for generation. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, says the angel of the Lord called out. Abraham from heaven a second time and he said I swear by myself declares the Lord that because you have done this and have not withheld your son your only son you see how many times that's, that's reinforced your only son I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashores your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have what? Because Abraham had what? Because Abraham obeyed God. God wanted to reveal to Abraham how much he loved God. One last thing to wrap up in this story. It's interesting to note that, that you know, early on it says that, that we will worship and then we will return, but at the end of the story it never says that Isaac came back with Abraham. We just assume that he, that he came back. But the next time we find the story of Isaac in Scripture, he is being, his wife is being brought to him. Like Isaac, when Jesus goes out of the picture, we won't see him again either until his bride is brought to him. This is a picture of Jesus being the sacrificial lamb and about him coming to take his bride to church, to heaven with him. Are you ready for that yourself? Are you ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ? 
You know, we can trust His promises because of the truth and the truthfulness of His Word. Again, I ask, is, is your faith being tested today? Is your faith being tested right now? You know, when, when it seems like your life is out of control and the, and the circumstances of your life are, are all adding up, can you trust the promises of God? Will you trust the promises of God? Are you willing to stay the course, believing His Word and trusting in, in His faithfulness? We see in this passage, it said that, that, that God spoke to Abraham, and Abraham heard God, and Abraham knew His voice. And in obedience, He replied, Here I am. Let me ask you this morning, do you, do you know the voice of God? Do you recognize the voice of God? Will you recognize the voice of God when He calls you? You see, God expects us to obey Him and trust Him even when things in life are, are confusing and, and even costly and when things don't make sense. Maybe the mountain in your life, maybe the test in your life today is, is a defining moment in your life. You see, from there, from this story, Abraham's faith grew deeper. Is this a defining moment in, in your life where you will allow your faith to grow deeper with God? Will this storm, will this test, will this mountain be a, a launching point for you to go deeper with God? I had someone tell me last week he was going to be out of work for a while. And he said, instead of going to work every day, I'm going to work in the Word. I'm going to deepen my relationship with Christ during my time off. Our hymn of invitation this morning is, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. Listen to the lyrics of the verse first. It says, My faith looks up to Thee, Thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now, now hear me while I pray. Take all my guilt away. Oh, let me from this day be wholly Thine. Will you pray that to the Lord as we sing it to God this morning? Hear my prayer, God. Take away my guilt and today may I be wholly yours. Will you pray that as we sing? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the story of Abraham, the example of unquestionable faith, his determination to, to follow you in obedience regardless of what you ask, regardless of where you led him, Regardless of what you wanted him to do, God, he was faithful. God, may we be faithful. May we, be, may we pass the test, Lord, when you bring them our way. Yeah, as I said, nobody likes them. But here your word tells us that it helps us grow. 
And so, Father, whatever test we're in the midst of today, whatever test comes our way in the future, God, may we be found faithful, trusting in You, obeying in You, obeying Your Word, what You want us to do, regardless of how hard it may be or the cost that it may have on us. But Lord, when we are tested in our faith, may we be found trusting and obeying You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.